weighing your oatmeal in the morning, like weighing your oatmeal, weighing your oatmeal in the morning. I know you're stoked. I know you want to go out there and smash. This year's your big year. Chicago is a tough guy town. Baby mama's never forget that it's the fall that things really matter. Yeah, go like this. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the Cedar Skier Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Cedarquist. It's a Grip Wax Nation sensation. Broadcasting to you live from Shuffle Lake Public Radio here in Leadville, Colorado. 10,000 feet, you know, here we are. We got Ajay in the studio. We got everyone back together. The band is back together. It's Shovel Lake Public Radio. It's July, and um, we, here we are, right, producing shows for you. And I know some of you thought maybe we fell off a cliff or, or, or rather roller skied off a cliff. It did not happen. Um, I've actually just been stockpiling and sitting on some great episodes for, for really no reason at all. I should have got them out right away, but, you know, I, I like to keep you waiting. It's good for the brand. You, you get you get agitated. You're you're refreshing your Spotify page every moment. Has, has the Cedar Skier posted again? When is my next episode coming? The pitchforks are getting sharpened, and they're, they're being pointed right at me in my little abode here at 215 Mountain View Drive, Leadville, Colorado. Maybe that was a bad idea to give up my address, but uh, you could have probably found it anyway. You know, the Sprinter van's outside, the U.S. Ski Pole Company emblazoned on the side. Um, actually, speaking of that, I had a phone call with Andy Liebner. Big things are happening at United States Ski Pole Company. That's all I'm allowed to say. But he did say when these things become official, he's going to come to me and let us blast it across the airwaves on 45,000-watt radio. Um, which we don't actually have the power for. Shovel Lake Public Radio is actually a, a totally made-up thing, if you haven't figured that out yet. But no, it's not. Sorry, Ajay, rewind. Let me do the rewind soundbite. She's not ready. She's she's chewing on her bone. Okay, anyway. So thank you for joining us today. And uh, I, I need to, Ajay is looking at me with the German Shepherd stick to the script or I will bite your head off look so I will get to it now okay stick to the script stick to the script I'm, I'm going um I am so excited for the show we have for you today did you when <sighs> those creative writing classes on Canon plus haven't been paying off quite yet okay I'll continue no it's oh wait I'm so excited I'm so excited about the show we have for you today. No, it's not Nordic Ski specific. We won't be drilling down to the nuts and bolts of training theory or waxing or any of that. But maybe you'll find this episode more valuable as it relates to your pursuit of excellence. I know that I did. Jerry Schemmel, the radio voice of the Rockies, the old radio voice of the Nuggets. That's the Denver Nuggets. Yes, this is the big time. We got the big guns coming in. Uh, Jerry Shemmel, he's also a race across America endurance cyclist winner. He's crossed the country a couple of other, other times for charity. For those of you who are new to the show, by the way, that is, that's a very important anecdote intentionally placed in the middle of this paragraph. I am obsessed with crossing the country on my bike. I haven't done it yet, but I just, I love reading about it. I have read stories about people who've done it in the 1800s and the 1900s for charity to, to, for other reasons, focus on the family to see how fast they can do it. 
uh, who don't care about speed. It, it's all relevant to me. So, uh, I mean, this guy, he checks off my bucket list, like a lot of these items, as you'll see. But that was a big one. Uh, who else is Jerry Shamble? He's an author. He is a plane crash survivor. And he's the brother of the first fo- uh, sub-four-minute miler in South Dakota history. So a little tidbit in there. For Mike from Leadville, who I know is going to probably race immediately to Google to search this up. It's there. Um, And Jerry was super kind enough, uh, gracious to talk with me for about 45 minutes a couple of weeks ago. And basically the story pitch was, hey, what does the old Nuggets radio guy think about his team finally winning their first title? You know, but it ended up being a lot more than that. And uh, and we ended up talking about a lot more important stuff, too. So if you're the type of guy who has, you know, big bucket list like me, you want to check it all off, you're going to appreciate some of this wisdom from him. And it really, quite frankly, it's intentional living at its finest. So without further ado, this episode of the Cedar Skier podcast brought to you by insert all of our sponsors. Oh, sorry. I was supposed to just read that brought to you by the United States Ski Pool Company, Sport Hill and do we have another sponsor? Dottie's Eggs? That's not a real thing, is it? Dottie is actually, is she selling eggs in Lake Park, Minnesota? Well, Kelly, I thought if she, hey, if she's not going to, I don't care if she's my niece. No, she needs to pay. We're not just going to endorse that. You need to go back and edit that and chuck it out. If it's not, in, it's not supposed to be in there. We need to get rid of it. Okay, anyway, here's the show. Thank you for joining us. I, I wrote here these questions. I was telling my wife um, earlier, I was like, so this guy, he's a Christian. He an- does sports announcing. He's done Ram. He's written a book. He's like my hero at this point. Uh, <laughs> the, those are all items on my like bucket list. Um, and you, you've done it. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you actually opening is like, do you ever just stop and go, man, I've really been been blessed. I mean, I know we all should do that, but you've been fortunate to see all those passions come to fruition. Like, what does that mean to you? And do you have any advice for people looking to live their best life? Oh, gosh. You know, I think it for me, Ryan, it goes back to surviving a plane crash and everybody around me died and 112 people in that tragedy passed away. And uh, ever since then, I've just made a vow to myself to, you know, live life to the fullest and all the things that I, I want to do, I want to make sure that I do. I, I don't want to leave stuff that's uh, undone that I, I want to get done. So that's been the incentive for me. And I, I tell people, you know, everybody, everybody dies. Not everybody really lives. I want to really live. And I think everybody else should too. Yeah, and I, I want to touch on that. You know, the plane crash obviously is a big part of your story. But even before that, like that intentionality aspect you know, did you do you think all these things were they part of the equation from a pretty young age? And when I when I say that, I mean like being an announcer, doing the biking stuff, writing a book, uh, or or has that been more like reactionary? Like stuff has happened and they've just kind of come up. Or were you like sitting at seven years old, like this is what I want to do in my life? You know, I, I think most of it, Ryan, probably came after the plane crash. It, yeah. it really reshaped my whole life and my way of thinking and my um, my attitude, my motivations. They all changed after that. I just realized how light, how short life can be and, and how I got a second chance at it. But I can tell you this. I was pretty determined, I think, growing up. I had six siblings, and we, we come from a, at best, middle-class background, and 
there was never any money, and so I always was forced to work hard. And I always had the work ethic, and I always had the drive to succeed because I didn't want to. I didn't want to end up like my parents, you know, broke and and you know, strive, striving to make every penny count. I didn't want to do that. So that kind of gave me an incentive to to work hard. And I did have, have aspirations, probably I don't know, fourteen or fifteen, of being a, a broadcaster, and not not completely set on it, but I thought that would be a lot of fun. And I eventually, you know, followed that path. But I think most of it was after the plane crash rather than before. I, I want to, I have you on here because I want to ask you about the nuggets, but actually just before that, maybe a little bit about your upbringing, just so I know too, like, uh, so you said about 14 or 15, you, you, you had your eye on that. What, what were some major influences from a journalism standpoint then in your life? Yeah, I used to, um, uh, listen to the Minnesota Twins. I grew up in a little town in, in South Dakota, Madison, South Dakota, and we could get the Minnesota Twins games on the radio. And I would listen to them a lot. And there was a, the, their late announcer, Herb Carneal, who I just thought was, was uh, you know, God as a broadcaster. And I just I thought that would be so cool to follow a major league team and, and do their games on the radio. I just thought that would be the neatest profession. So that, that early on, and that was a, 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 my entire childhood. I mean, I think he was an announcer for 40-plus years but that's my entire childhood so that was really the the real big influence when I got older and I was in school I was playing baseball at a place called Washburn University in Kansas I used to pick up the Chicago Bulls games uh, with their late announcer Jim Durham and I thought he was an incredibly gifted um, uh, radio basketball guy and so I kind of emulated him a little bit so those two were probably my biggest influences Herb Carneal and, and Jim Durham um, probably as a broadcaster I, I really tried to be like those guys as much as I could okay this is crazy I so I grew up in Moorhead Minnesota and I distinctly uh-huh. remember being um, like 11 years old my dad built us a tree house that was really pretty nice so I and I was homeschooled so I'd go out there and sleep in there at, at night with my <laughs> with my dog and I'd take this little radio and I'd turn it on because it was like this it was this weird comfort thing to have like baseball um, you know, um, in the background. So it was, it was Erg Carney on the summer when he'd do like just kind of the weekends, you know, as they kind of phased him out. That's like what he was doing. But I distinctly remember like this guy's voice, like if I could just have his voice alone, you know, <laughs> so crazy. So that's interesting, oh, that connection. But, uh, and, and, and it's nowadays, you know, like I try to listen to the radio and it's hard, you know, you have to pay for all the subscriptions for stuff. Like I can't even listen to Paul Allen, uh, do Vikings games and he's kind of he's such an interesting new style of that <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's fun yeah. uh, and I listened to Kevin Harlan doing the the Timberwolves back when he was when he was with them so a few of those influences but what what, what do you feel like is your um, you know everyone develops their own style how would you describe yourself then uh, in, in what you do you know I think it's probably um, it, Energetic, I would say, is probably enthusiastic. Energetic is, is probably what I would like. I strive for anyway, especially with basketball. And it did, it did the NBA for 20 years, and I always thought it's it's a physical, emotional, um, you know, high high strung type of energy game. And I wanted to propel that on the radio. Baseball is different. It's more laid back. There's a pitch, and then there nothing happens for 20 seconds. And so it's a little bit different pace. So depending on the sport, but um, you know, I think I'm probably a little more energetic, a little more enthusiastic, um, a little more upbeat than than probably most announcers who do this. 
Okay, so I got to ask you the same question about influences, but this one's just life, you know, life skills, character, that sort of thing. Who are the influences for you there? Uh, my dad. Yeah. Uh, he, he was, uh, you know, uneducated, uh, raised on a farm in, in Iowa, a uh, man of very few words. Uh, but full of integrity and just had this incredible work ethic and he didn't have to say much um, at all to get his point across and um, he's been gone for gosh I don't know, 15 16 years now uh, Ryan I miss him every day and uh, you know later in life when he was retired he didn't have to work so hard uh, we really got close and so he, he definitely was my number one motivation outside of sports yeah, it's, it's interesting how guys who talk for a living and can, you know, probably fill up the airways for an hour, then, then some of those people, it's like, who have the few words, but they stick, right? That, those are the ones, yeah. that, kind of yeah. uh, that contrast. But hey, another yeah. thing I saw in your background doing some research was this, was law school. W where did that fit, and why did you do that? <laughs> yeah, that, that's, a great, that's a great question. <laughs> I've been asking myself that. <laughs> now, I, I, I got a degree in broadcast journalism, Ryan, and when I came out of school, came out of college, I I wanted to do play-by-play. -play. I, I really wanted to play. That was my goal. I didn't want to really be a sports anchor on TV or, yeah. you know, a news guy on the radio. I just, I wanted to do play-by-play -play -play and I could not find a job. They're so hard to find and even, you know, today they're a little easier with the internet, but, you know, nobody knew about jobs. So I just could not find a job. So plan B for me was to go to law school if I didn't get that job I wanted. And, and that's the way it worked. And then I got lucky after my first year law school I found a, a job doing high school games on a local station in Topeka and it just kind of went from there so uh, yeah that, that's the reason for law school I practiced law for about five years um, until I got the job with the Timberwolves and then I could afford not to practice anymore and I enjoyed it I still have my degree I still do some legal stuff I don't have an office or any regular practice but I still do some legal stuff so I'm, I'm still proud of that law degree I really am yeah, how did you get your start at the Wolves? You know, I, um, I, I, was, I was right place at the right time. I was doing minor league basketball uh, in the Continental Basketball Association for a team. I was doing both radio and TV. And the Timberwolves, in their second year, just got a new cable TV deal. And they needed somebody right away. I mean, within like the season's going to start in two weeks. They needed somebody right away that had radio and TV experience. And I had that at the minor league level, and I was ready. I was available. So uh, right place at the right time, for sure. We hear that all the time, but it was certainly the case with me. Other than learning how to cover a team that is pretty much losing 90% of the time <laughs> and, and doing that probably with some enthusiasm, what, what else did you uh, learn in your Minnesota chapter, and how did it shape you? You know, I think I just uh, I learned how to prepare a little bit more. You know, I thought I was a really good preparer, but there were a lot of things that I was I could probably do more of. And I, I got into a habit. It was a really good habit of just over preparing. And, and that's the way when, when you're prepared, you're confident. And when you're over prepared, you're really confident. So I just I think that helped me prepare for every game rather than putting stuff together at the end. I would work you know before the pregame show, I would work on stuff at home and do some background and you know uh, I think the preparation in Minnesota really helped me a lot and just being at the big league level and being at the highest point of the profession and this is what I dreamed about doing for all these years uh, just to me was so motivating um, and I, I just I couldn't wait to get to the arena every single night and how did you end up getting to Denver then from there 
Yeah, you know, um, lucky again, right place, right time. The president of the Timberwolves, or I guess he was a vice president, Tim Lywicky, um, got hired as the Denver Nuggets president um, the, after the second year I was in Minnesota. And so he came to Denver and hired me. They had an opening. Uh, the regular Nuggets guy went on to start doing the Rockies. The Rockies just come into existence in 1993, and he took over uh, doing – the Rockies and I took his job. So um, again, right place, right time. And, and so I, I know baseball was kind of like where you wanted to end up ultimately, but you had like this long stint with the Nuggets. Uh, were you was was there any was there any point in time where you're like maybe I just am gonna embrace basketball, you know, and like that's gonna be my thing? Or uh, yeah, how, how did you kind of? I mean, because twenty years is a long time, right? Were were you always yeah. kind of looking for baseball stuff? Yeah, I was, um, you know, probably after, I don't know, a decade or so, I'm just, I was just loving doing the Nuggets. I'm just absolutely loving it. And the team was getting better. They had drafted Carmelo Anthony later on, and we started making the playoffs. It was really good. But I still had this desire, this appetite for baseball, and it was always in the back of my head. And I applied for some jobs. And then I got into my late 40s, Ryan, and, you know, probably 15th, 16th year with the Nuggets. I thought, no, nah, this is probably not going to happen. I'm very content just doing the Nuggets the rest of my career. And that's when I, when the Rockies job opened, and I got that job at age 50. I mean, that just doesn't happen to people. I, yeah. uh, and, and it, but, you know, I applied for it, and I thought, what do I got to lose? If, if nothing, if I don't get the job, I go back and do the Nuggets, and I'll be very happy. And I just happened to get that Rockies job in 2010. Yeah, oh, man. I, I want to talk a little bit about the difference between these two. And, and I know, you know, like family plays a role, too. You'd mentioned in a story that... That it's nice it works out better you know just the season time but but going back to the nuggets uh you 1994 was a fun eight seed one seed upset 2009 they made this run to the western conference finals uh what what are those deep playoff runs like for announcers when the season gets extended a little extra travel extra attention uh how do you describe that from from your vantage point i i tell people this all the time there is nothing like NBA playoff basketball. It's a whole new world, and it's so fun. It's just, it's just incredibly fun. I can't imagine what it was like if you're a championship team like the Nuggets were this year and calling those games all the way through the playoffs. But um, it, the, the intensity ratchets up. The attention uh, ratchets up. You have people want to talk to you. They want to interview you. Uh, you know the the media attention is heightened, and every possession is critical in a playoff game. And it's just so fun. It's just so fun to broadcast that when there's that kind of intensity and that and and what's on the line each game. So I just I, I loved it, and I thought I. I thought I was at my best in those big games. I mean, I just, I, I thrived on them. So uh, nothing like it. It was just so much fun. I, I really, I miss NBA playoff basketball for sure. Does anyone come into the conversation, like the uppers, the bosses, and kind of go, hey, just a reminder, like we've got double the people listening or, or whatever like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, does that happen? And how does that kind of affect you too? Or do you just kind of go, like you said, you know, hey, that pressure sort of brings me, brings out the best. 
You know, I, I think it would, they just leave you alone, you know, yeah. and let you do your thing. And, and that was always great for me because I felt like everybody trusted me. I think they knew that I knew what was at stake and, you know, what was on the line. And yeah. it, these games were, were um, in the spotlight and, and, you know, all that goes along with the playoffs. So, no, nobody really said anything. I don't think they had to either. I, I just got myself up for it and was, was ready to go. So uh, we all knew the importance of it. And I think my bosses during NBA playoff, Oh. You know, and so they were probably thinking, you know, well, here we go, we got to sell some more tickets, or we go the next round, how are we going to do this? So uh, it, it was all fun for everybody. Now, the million-dollar question, I guess, then, is what were some of the emotions going through your mind as the Nuggets having the dream season they had this year? What yeah. what were you kind of thinking? Who, were you talking to people, too? I Now, I, I'm, I don't know who, I mean, I don't listen to the radio, so I'm not even sure who the guy is who's covering the Nuggets. That's terrible. I should know that. But, yeah, what, what were the emotions and, and you, yeah, for you? Yeah, there were, there were two things, really, Ryan. One was I kept telling myself how fun it would be to be in that back in that seat. Yeah. And then I reminded myself, you, you can't focus on what you don't have. You focus on what you do have. And so I, I, I thought, it'd be fun, but uh, I'm not there, so I can't do anything about that. And the other thing I thought about was all these people that I know, some people that are left over from when I was working with the Nuggets who went through all these lean years and all these Nuggets fans I know that have been fans from the day I started doing the games just over 30 years ago that finally get to bask in a championship and were so struggling and suffering for so long yeah. 11 and 71 season i mean it, it was we won two not two games on the road in one whole season we won two games on the road uh, just some really difficult times i thought about those people that i knew that endured that with me that now get to enjoy this championship so two things one i was a little a, a little envious of that broadcast seat that the current rocky or current nuggets guy had but i was also so happy for so many other people and you you almost got there in 09 but what would you say is the main difference between those two teams i don't know if you got a chance to kind of watch it enough to to break it down i know you're busy covering the rockies but uh yeah just from your vantage point what do you see as being kind of the the key difference between the, the two sports? No, no, between uh, the Carmelo Anthony and the Jokic-led groups. Oh, yeah, I gotcha. Uh, you know, I, I think when, when, we, when we had Carmelo and we were going to playoffs year after year, we could, we could just feel that we weren't that championship team. We were just happy to be in the playoffs and maybe get the second round if we got lucky. Um, and it was just, we were just enjoying the experience. I think with this team, I think really going back two or three years, everybody sensed it was a championship team. It was one of the best teams in the NBA. And, and then when it happened this year, that was proven. Um, so I, I think the difference was people got a feeling that, hey, this could be the Nuggets year. When all those years when I was doing the games with the playoffs, we never felt that. We were just happy. We were happy to be in the postseason. We didn't have any thoughts about winning a championship. And it's like they say, the old adage of, you know, winning kind of solves everything. And I think, you know, for you right now, the, the Rockies, middle of a losing streak, kind of struggling, sort of on that opposite end of the spectrum where the Nuggets are and the Avs were last year. And um, I think a lot of people don't probably realize that, like, you know, when you're covering sports, at least at least for me, even on the prep level, you know, how do you, how do you go cover a 1-19 team 
that's struggling and they're 10th and 11th graders. And, you know, at the pro level, it's it's the same thing, but a different too. Uh, but what adjustments do you make kind of when the team is struggling versus when they're on a roll? And uh, how does it kind of feel different when you have to get behind the mic? Yeah, you know, I try, um, and, and I, I, I really try at this, I try not to sound any different, yeah. to be honest with you, with the team winning eight games or losing eight games. And I don't want someone to uh, turn the radio on, start listening to me and, and think, oh, they're in an eight-game losing streak. I can tell by the tone of his voice. Yeah, yeah. I don't want that to happen. I, I, that's what I strive not to do. And a lot, a lot of times it's almost unavoidable. But, uh, you know, I go into each game thinking we're going to win the game. We're going to have a great broadcast. It's going to be it's going to be a game that something's going to happen. I haven't seen for a while or I haven't. Uh, and that's the great thing about baseball. You can sit out. We've got a game tonight. We're going to play the Angels. We're going to see something we haven't seen for a long time or something we've never seen before. That's baseball. And so that kind of makes it exciting. And, you know, I'm thinking, you know what, we're going to beat the Angels tonight. You're going to stop the eight game losing streak and I'm going to broadcast the game accordingly. So, so you're the opposite of Paul Allen, then, as the, the Vikings. I, I, I love tuning in and listening to him. It's like, oh, we're losing right now. He hasn't even said the score. I can tell right now. Um, but, no, that's that's awesome. Uh, no, so, okay, contrasting these two gigs that you've got with Rockies versus Nuggets, what's kind of the main pros and cons of each? Like, what do you miss about calling basketball games? What do you like about your current position? Yeah, I, I, I miss the intensity and the energy level of an NBA game. You know, it's like I said earlier, it's tough, hard fought, it's physical, it's emotional, it's sweaty, it's, you know, where in baseball it's kind of laid back, there's not much contact, all that kind of stuff. I miss that intensity of a game. And the score's always changing, and, uh, you know, the possession's always changing, and there's not a lot of time for background stuff. It's all rapid fire play by play. I miss that. With baseball, it's the opposite. You've got to pace yourself a little bit. There are going to be big moments in a game, inevitably, um, but not like basketball. So it, the, the pace is a lot different, and the energy level is a lot different. So you just have to approach it differently because it's a different game. Pick your spots in baseball where you get really excited, like you would the basketball game, but there aren't nearly as many as there are in that NBA game. Yeah, does that that's got to make your preparation a little bit different in terms of like the baseball side. You almost have a little bit of a mini sports talk radio show in between every pitch. You know what I mean? Like, cause it's there's just a lot more air to fill. I mean, is that uh, is that something that grinds your gears or sort of revs your engine? That aspect. Yeah, I, I like it. I, yeah. I like telling stories. You know, with the pitch clock now, there's not as much time to do that, but I, I enjoy that. And that's where your your research and your background and your preparation comes in. There's a lot more in baseball. So in basketball, you have time, what, during a free throw maybe to give a little background? That's about it. Um, you know, you have, what, 10, 20 seconds? Or in baseball, if you have, you're talking about a pitcher and his background, you've got a whole inning. You've got a, probably four or five innings for that starting pitcher yeah. to tell his story. So um, I, I, I enjoy doing that. I, I really do. I, I enjoy And I've had people tell me that, hey, I love when you give me the inside scoop I didn't know about somebody that, you know, his mom died of cancer when he was 15 or whatever that story might be. Um, I, I, I love bringing those kinds of stories out, and I have that opportunity in baseball. Yeah. Okay. So this is, I got to ask you this inside broadcasting question because I, so I do world cup broadcasting for cross country skiing, or I did this last winter and 
on that yeah. point, it's kind of interesting, like a 50K, you know, cross-country ski race. It's like everyone, it's like cycling, you know, you got a lot of time, storytelling. You got to know when the yep. moves are going to be made, pick your moment versus like a sprint. It's it's just all action. And so when I wake up at 2 a.m. to broadcast these events in Norway, I'm like, oh, it's a sprint. Oh, it's not, yeah, right. I know. It's not that big a deal. I'll just, you know, say, say what's happening. But then the 50K, you got to, yeah, for me, it's reaching out via email, trying to get some clip. It, it, sometimes I got to work really hard to get that one, you know, Jesse Diggins told me yesterday this course really fits her, you know, kind of a line. It's like, for, for you, yeah. what what is your access like? Like, how how do you go about finding out those background stories? Well, I think the Internet's the first place um, you go. And then you, what I like to do is I like to develop it. So I go online and, you know, read about, for instance, Connor Siebold, one of our pitchers for the Rockies, did lose his mom at age 15. Uh, I think he was older than that, actually. Yeah, he was he was in college, and she only got to see one one game he pitched in college. And so uh, so I went to Connor and asked ask him about it and, you know, get his reaction and what you think and do you think about your mom when you pitch. And that's stuff you can't get on the Internet you can get from that guy so I try to just seek out the story as best I can sometimes if you have a you have a background story about the opposing team's player you might not get access to him so you can't really develop it and you can only go on what you get off the internet but a lot of times with your own guys or if you have access you can really develop that story and get reaction hey Connor told me that he you know he draws his mother's initials behind the mound every time he starts that's a really cool thing yeah. and people love hearing that so um, I just try to, to to develop it as, as best I can under the circumstances. Okay, so speaking of cool anecdotes, what is kind of the strangest or coolest anecdote that you've ever had when it comes to announcing, whether it's with the Nuggets or what have you, arriving late to the game, notes go missing, color guys in the bathroom forever? <laughs> like, what, What's kind of the craziest moment you've had? Uh, it, it's this one, Ryan. Um, I was doing a game, I had the flu. I was really, really sick, and we were doing a game in Phoenix. We're on the road. There's nobody that can, that, you know, pinch it for you. You got to do the game. You got to suck it up. And I was just so sick. I'd been vomiting all day. I got to the arena, and I felt a little bit better. I felt good enough to do the game, and I did the game. And, and every time out at halftime, I was just trying to hold back and just try to contain myself. And and as soon as as soon as we signed off, as soon as I said good night on the Denver Nuggets Radio Network. I pulled up uh, our trainer had given me a bucket to put under my uh, under my bed, my table courtside so I could throw I could vomit in if I had to. As soon as I signed off, I I leaned over and vomited in that bucket. Oh I gosh. held it I held it for two hours and twenty minutes and then I let it go. <laughs> oh, your own Michael Jordan flu game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That no one knew about. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, okay, shifting gears a little bit. So Ram. Uh, and I used to live in Alamosa just a very brief time. Uh, I was an elementary music teacher. I've got a little bit of a weird uh, career side too. Not quite as uh, flourishing as yours, law degree, but I was a music ed guy. And uh, so I, I, Alamosa, I loved watching the cyclists come through, you know, as they're still kind of at the beginning stages of that race. But for yeah. you, so for you, like... That's a significant undertaking. Uh, tell me the genesis behind it. Were you a cyclist always, or did that kind of come about for a different reason? Yeah, I, you know, after the plane crash, I, I really needed something that I could do on a regular basis to kind of help me fight this post-trauma stress disorder stuff that I was going through, like everybody did that survived our crash. And I, I turned to cycling, and I just loved it. I, I got my I dusted off a bicycle in my garage, and 
just started cycling. I really enjoyed it. And then in the early 2000s, I decided to ride my bike, ride my bike across the country and do it for charity. And we did it to, with my family two years in a row, uh, west coast to east coast. I did about 100 miles a day. It took me, you know, a month. It was in the summer, so I, I had uh, the summers off with the Nuggets. And we raised these good funds for Children's Hospital. And I... After doing that, I thought, what if I raced every day across the country? What would that be like? And I found, I found the Ram website. And Ryan, I'm not kidding. I, I looked at that website once a week, probably for 10 years. Uh, I, I'm serious. And, and every wait, time wait, I look what, at it, I think. Sorry, what'd you say? Once a day? Uh, well, once a week. Once a I week. I would say on the average. Okay. Once a week on the average. I looked at that website and I convinced myself it's too hard. I couldn't do it. You're not going to get any sleep. You know, you can't, you don't have enough time to train. You know, I had just all kinds of excuses. I woke up one day and looked at that website and decided it'd just be easier to do the race than not do it because I'm driving myself crazy. And so um, in 2014, I pulled the trigger and, and I thought I'll do it as a two-person relay. I won't do it solo. That might be a little too intimidating the first time. And so I found a, a buddy of mine's good cyclist and when we, we signed up and we did it in 2015 and ended up winning the two-person division. So it was a, a, a long time in the making let me let me tell you that's but that's intense that's crazy i mean you must have gotten kind of into the fitness aspect of it too are you were you kind of uh endurance genes hiding in the background when you were playing like high school baseball and stuff uh, you know i think a little bit um <laughs> yeah my i got a younger brother and older brother that were really good track athletes middle okay. distance runners i mean really good my older brother was a national champion ncaa champion but i i didn't have their long-distance genes, but I had some of that, I think, but probably more talent in cycling than I did running, and yeah, it was there. I probably I probably discovered that after I uh, started doing training for Ram, discovered I was okay at doing this cycling, this long-distance cycling thing. Your older brother was an NCAA champion. Where at? When? Uh, he was at Kansas State. So, like, D1 yep. a distance runner? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. He won... Uh, he won back then. It was the Big Eight. So he won five Big Eight championships, and then um, his senior year, he won the uh, he won the mile indoors indoor mile champion. Wow, that is crazy. Okay, I'm gonna Google that. I'm a total track nerd. So, what years would that have been? Like oh, yeah. 80s? He he was uh, he graduated in 1976 at Kansas State. Oh wow! And, and if you go back and look at their website, I think he still's got some records there. They don't run the mile anymore. I think he has the record for the mile indoor and outdoor and maybe some other ones too. That's totally wild. And like right after pre-Fontaine too, nonetheless, yeah. right? Like, I mean, right yeah, in that yeah. era. Okay, yeah, that's... in that running running boom for sure. That's crazy. Okay, um, what, yeah, so for you then, you know, the, is there these long... Do you still cycle? Actually, quick question. I, I do, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What, what's kind of the point of biking at this point? Do you have some goals? Do you still do you use it to podcast, think about things, uh, race or broadcast prep? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in, in terms of cycling, first I, I can tell you this. You know, I, I attempted solo ram. I don't know if you knew this in 2021. Yeah, so and you didn't summer, finish it. Two summers ago, yeah, and I got knocked out that second day like so many of us with that heat wave. I would like to go back and try that again uh, uh, okay. because I failed on it. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. It's going to be really hard uh, in the summer doing the Rockies and still train and be able to take two weeks off to do that. So I don't know if that's realistic or not, but I would like to do that. So I've got that in the back of my head. In the meantime, I'll do you know some centuries and double centuries wherever I can. 
Okay, very, very cool. Yeah, I suppose that's kind of the drawback, right, of your, your current one without summers really off, which is that's yeah. biking crazy time in Colorado. Yeah. Hey, have you ever done, like, a gravel race or anything like that? Or are you just kind of a road guy? I have, I have not. No, okay. I've, I've never done that. I did some mountain, mountain biking, and it seemed like every time I did, I crashed, so I stopped, stopped doing that, too. <laughs> so just on the road these days. Okay, cool. Well, all right, hey, let's talk a little bit about your faith, uh, this, the plane crash. And I know you've, you know, I, as I was looking you up, I'm like, wow, he's talked about this a lot. So I don't want to like, you know, I try, I'll try not to ask you the same questions you've, you've been asked before, but maybe even just the most obvious different one would be at this point in your life now, you know, how are you processing this event? Because I'm sure it's it's not something like where you forget, forget it happened, obviously, but like, are, do different random memories come to mind or things you hadn't thought about before or, yeah, just how do you process it right now? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's still there. You, you never forget, but you move on as best you can. And the further it is from the event, so it's been 30-plus years now, um, the, the less impact it has on you. Um, I still think about it, you know, maybe not every single day. And I think about it, and what I, what I think about these days is the family members of people who died who I know, Ryan, still 35 plus years later, are still struggling. I mean, they're still struggling with the loss of their loved ones 30 plus years later. Yeah. You never get over that. So that's what I think about today, and I pray for them. And, but I don't, it doesn't affect me. There's still some survivor's guilt from the little boy in front of me who died, but just very fleeting, not, not much at all. Just a little bit of sadness and, and a lot of prayers as a result. What was your job at the time of the crash? Like I was thinking, well, maybe he was flying for like the Nuggets, but it was 89. So you, you, this would have been like right before the Timberwolves, right? Yeah, it was right before the Timberwolves. Yeah, I was working for the minor league system for the NBA, the Continental right. Basketball Association. Um, their office is based in Denver, and I was doing some freelance broadcasting, but I was a deputy commissioner of that league, of the CBA. Okay. And I was traveling on traveling that business. We we're going to do our draft and our college draft the next day. And then, of course, you've been in a, in sports for the yeah like three decades after it. I mean, walk me through. I'm kind of someone who gets nervous on flights, but more because I have a bad stomach. And and I mean, like something like what you went through, it's like you just can't even comprehend it. But you know, having been through it, what was it like to get on a plane the first time? Like like after that, you know? Yeah, that it, this is going to sound way more courageous than it really was. But I got back on a plane the next day after the crash. And United had arranged to, to bring a, a plane into Sioux City and take anybody back to Denver that wanted to go. Anybody who wasn't out of the hospital, would, there weren't that many of us, but um, I said yes. And so I hadn't slept all night. I, w I was up looking for my boss and great friend who died in the crash, Jay Ramsdale, um, and I hadn't slept at all. By the next afternoon, plane was supposed to take off for Denver at 4. I was exhausted, Ryan. I had nothing left, no adrenaline, nothing. And I just got on that plane and fell asleep. I slept through the whole flight, so, um, uh, you know, I got back on, I got bucked off the horse, I got back in the saddle and fell asleep for an hour and a half, what? which is probably the best way it could have worked. Did, did you not really ever struggle with it after that, even just traveling with the Nuggets I, and stuff? I didn't, you know, and yeah. I'm really fortunate that way, really, really fortunate, because I know that a lot of people who survived our crash have never flown again or done it a couple of times and couldn't do it anymore, but, you know, I just thought it was important to get back on a plane, and I thought if I want to you know, realize my dream still, I'm going to have to fly. And I just sort of sucked it up. And, and I think got really lucky that God blessed me not to have anxiety when I fly anymore. And 
you're married with kids. How how old were they when this happened? Yeah, I'm actually divorced now. Oh. Recently divorced. Oh, okay. Um, sorry but, about that. Uh, the kids the kids weren't born. Uh, our kids were born after that. Four oh. years. Yeah, let's see, two years and eight years after. So they're thirty one and twenty four now. Okay, I was I wasn't sure about that. I was wondering if it would have been like one years or old or something like that. No. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah, no, like both born after the crash. Yep. Okay. Um. Yeah, because having I was thinking having those conversations, right? Like your dad survived this. I would think that that comes up at some point, like just explaining to them. But I mean, <clears throat> anyway, I'll move on to the theology faith question because this is sort of where you really found God, from what I understand. But maybe correct me on that. Can you kind of give me your testimony? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, first of all, at the time of the crash, I had no spiritual foundation whatsoever. Uh, I, I was just flailing. I, I had been, uh, I was 29 years old. I had never opened a Bible. I didn't think I needed religion. I certainly didn't need this savior that people talked about. I could do things on my own. I was always independent and hardworking. And after the crash, um, you know, suffering from post-trauma stress disorder and just really all the effects of that crash psychologically, I struggled. And I got knocked down. I couldn't pick myself back up. Marriage has fallen apart. I quit my job, um, you know, in depression. And yeah, I was functional, but I was struggling. And I just realized one day I've been knocked down. I could not pick myself back up. And I just I just prayed a simple prayer. just asked God to come into my life and give me some kind of relief from this crash. Not, not specific prayer to get a new job or to come out of depression or save my marriage. It was just, God, give me something to hold on to because I can't do this by myself anymore. And right when I said this, I know a lot of people I, I tell this story to think this is corny. It really didn't happen. I swear it happened this way. When I said that, something came over me. It wasn't an audible voice. It wasn't a physical sensation. But it was just this overwhelming sense of peace that, that just kind of took over my mind and my body that said, you're going to be okay. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be really hard, but, but you're going to be okay because I'm going to fight this battle with you. And that was the beginning for me, and I became a Christian a, a short time after that, accepted Christ as my Savior, which is the greatest decision I've ever made, um, the greatest thing I've ever done. And I've just, in the last 30 you know plus years since that moment, tried to, to grow and become more like Christ as much as I can every day. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really inspiring for sure. I, I, were your? Did you have any Christian upbringing at all, like as a kid? Then or no? No, no, I didn't. <clears throat> okay. I, I went to a Catholic church, you know, not every Sunday, but yeah. you know, parent, my parents would drag me there every once in a while, and but that was it. No, nothing. No, no, no foundation at all. Um, how do you, as someone who is a Christian in a environment that's like not Christian too? I mean. How do you kind of navigate that? Is it hard? Is it easy? Do you have strategies? <laughs> it's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge in, yeah. in the journalism world, sportscasting world, and the pro sports world as well. But you, I, I think you have to be smart about it. You certainly, I think if you wear your, your Christian religion on your sleeve, it's a turnoff. I, th I think you have to find the right moments. Mm -hmm. um, I, lead a, I actually lead a Bible study for the players on the road. We, we're, we meet once a road trip, but I've been doing that for a long time. And, and that, that really 
really is encouraging to, to know that there are you know, probably a dozen Rockies players and coaches that um, have made this decision like I have, and we want to grow in our faith, and we meet and we, we talk about those challenges. So that's really helped me a lot. Um, what I try to do is I just try to, to – show people who Jesus is instead of telling them because when you tell them it gets the the message gets lost or they get turned off but you show them you show kindness you show compassion you show people that you care you show people that you put them ahead of you uh, that you really are concerned about their their faith then it rubs off a little bit so I don't try to shout Jesus but I try to be like Jesus and show people who he looks like yeah that's great advice wow um and, and, and interesting that you yeah lead a Bible study with the Rockies players. I'm sure that I was actually going to ask you if you have like close relationships with some of the players or the even former Nuggets, or if it doesn't really work like that. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. You know, I, it's been a while since I've done the Nuggets, but I still got some some good friends there. Uh, Lafonso Ellis and I keep in contact. Uh, Dan Essel uh, and a, you know a few of the coaches that were there. Yeah. Um, but the Rockies players, you know, we have a lot of turnover. You know, from when I started with the Rockies, I think there's one player left, Charlie Blackman, who was, our, by the way, our ringleader in the, among the players in the Bible study. So he and I share a lot together, and, and he and I become pretty close. But, you know, for the, for the rest of it, it's we, we meet once a road trip, and then, you know, we, we kind of you know, exchange greetings in the clubhouse a little differently like we would normally if we didn't have that connection. But, but you know, at the same time, become close, but not, you know, not great friends, I, I wouldn't say. Um, now, okay, three questions left. I really appreciate the time. Hopefully this hasn't been, <laughs> this has been super fascinating for me. Uh, uh, but, All good. Yeah, I, the, the first one I've got is, you know, what I guess is next for you? How do you want to go off into the sunset? Are there other bucket list items you'd like to check off? Are you going to be the next Herb Carneal? You're just going to do this until they rip the mic out of your cold, dead, rigor mortis laden limbs. Uh, I hope not. <laughs> I hope that's not the case. You know what, Ryan? This, this, uh, this sounds like an easy answer, but it really is the truth. I'm just taking it one season at a time. I really am. And if God has something else he wants me to do, I want to listen to that and act on that. And he might have me do the the, the Rockies for the next 10 years. I, I don't know that. He might have this season be my last. But I want to be open to that call. And so I, I really, you know, the one thing I really want to do is get back on that line and ram and try that again. Otherwise, I really don't have any personal goals other than to just follow God's will. And I know that sounds really simplistic, but man, that's the way I have to look at it. That's the way I approach every single day. And so when you think about your life up to this point, I'm sure a biography could be written. I'll, <clears throat> I'd be I'd be up for writing it, but I don't know if I have the skill or ability to do it. But uh, <laughs> what what would All the right. what would the theme be at this point? Do you think what's like the the lesson, you know, the, the John Wooden lesson that kind of comes from your book that you would want people to be left with if they were going to read it? Uh, you know, I, I think a couple things. Number one, life is short. It's, it's really a brief time we have on Earth. And I was lucky to get a second chance and have my life given back to me. And, and that way, I've, for that reason, I've tried to live differently. Um, so number one, life is, is really brief. Number two, you're going to get knocked down. You are going to get knocked down. Tragedy is going to hit eventually in your life. It might, might not be as bad as the plane crash I went through. It might be worse. But everybody has their own plane crash. 
I say that all the time in the pub, in the motivational talks I give. Everybody has their own plane crash. So when you have yours and you get knocked down, I think the best thing you can do is ask God to come into your life and help you get back up. And when you do that, Ryan, you'll be if you let God help you get back to your feet, you'll be better than you were before you got knocked down. That's number two. And number three is just love people. Just love people. Don't worry about conflict or, or political views or uh, and just love people. And if you do that, they're going to feel that and they're going to respond accordingly. So, you know, three things for me. One is life is short. Secondly, everybody has their own plane crash and let God help you out of yours. And thirdly, just go love people. That's awesome. I appreciate that. I, th- I agree wholeheartedly. Last question. I try to ask this to everyone. I, I get a chance to, if it's right or appropriate, and I think for you it definitely is. With everything you've been through, with everything you're doing, all your passions, what is your why? And I mean, I think I can kind of guess the answer, but I, wa- I want to hear you articulate it. And, I, and, and maybe also, how has it changed throughout the years? Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, let me let me put it this way you know for a long time i wondered why i survived that crash i had some of the answers right i didn't have them all and about 10 years ago i started looking back on this crash and start started to see the picture and it was this it was god telling me hey jerry i finally got your attention it took 30 years in a plane crash but i finally got your attention and now that i have your attention i want to tell you about my son But more importantly, I want you to spend the rest of your life telling other people about my son. That's that's why. That's why I survived that crash, so I could tell those people about Jesus, so I could give God glory and point people toward his son. That that that's my why. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. Well, thank you so much for sticking around for that entire conversation and this whole episode of the Cedar Gear Podcast. I hope you got something from it. I know I did. And if you want to read more, there's a story that I wrote up on the Vail Daily website. So check that out. Share it with people. Share it with your friends. And share this show with your friends, too, if you want. We'd love, love to have more. If you have any thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, anything, complaints even, Shoot me an email at cedarskier at gmail.com. That's all lowercase, S-E-D-E-R-S-K-I-E-R at gmail.com. We take everything. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know what you think. We'd love to know where you're from. And uh, let us know if we can read your email over the air, too, if you don't want it to be read over the air. You can let us know that as well. But anyway, glad to be uh, back on the air and, and hopefully... You've been enjoying your summer so far, getting those roller skis in. You know, I like to end with the encouraging side note, right? To get out, train for something, set a goal and, and chase after it. doesn't have to be athletic related either, of course, but at least, uh, you know, hopefully you're inspired to live your best life no matter what your passions are. Anyway, we'll close, we'll sign off, and the Minnesota Orchestra is coming on afterwards here, Shovel Lake Public Radio, so... From all of us at cedarskier.com, keep on striving, keep on skiing. You're a rock star, get the show on, get paid, and all that glitters is gold. Only shooting stars break some gold.